Well, friends, would you uh, turn with me, please, to the words that we read in uh, Mark chapter 14, Mark 14, and reading again at verse 72, Mark 14 and verse 72. We read, and immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. It's amazing how certain sounds can transport you back to a certain place and back to a certain time. Any time I sit in my living room and hear the cars driving past the window, it reminds me of Saturday afternoons spent in my grandparents' living room hearing the cars passing by Drummond Road as Granny and Grandpa would be talking away. Any time I hear a wood pigeon, it reminds me of having to get up at 5am for the 7am shift at the Strathpeffer care home that I was working in. And any time I hear the Runrick song, Dust, it reminds me of a summer holiday spent in Caithness with my parents and my siblings. You, you just close your eyes and you're, you're immediately transported back to that place and back to that time. Well, we can assume that any time Peter heard a rooster crowing, it transported him back to that infamous night when he denied Jesus and disowned Jesus. This morning, we're continuing our studies in the life of Peter, and we're looking at these verses under three headings, the courtyard, the collapse, and the contrition. The courtyard, the collapse, and the contrition. First, we have the courtyard. You see that at the beginning of verse 66, where Mark focuses on where Peter was, where Peter was. Now, before proceeding, we can give some attention to the context. Jesus has just eaten his last supper with the disciples. It's a meal of bread and wine that is going to point to his broken body and shed blood at the cross. He has gone on to warn Peter that before the rooster crows twice, Peter will have denied him three times. He has proceeded to go to a garden called Gethsemane, where in his anguish, in his anxiety over what is facing him, he has prayed that his heavenly Father might remove the cup, remove the cross, remove the death that he is about to face. Meanwhile, Peter and the other disciples have all fallen asleep. Following his anguished prayers, Jesus has been betrayed by one of his followers, a man called Judas Iscariot, who has handed him over to a crowd who are carrying swords and clubs. The crowd have gone on to lead Jesus to the house of the high priest Caiaphas, while the disciples have left him and fled into the night. But after some time, Peter plucks up enough courage to follow after Jesus and he goes into the courtyard of the high priest where he sits warming himself by a fire. We can now move from the context to the courtyard in verse 66. We can note where Peter was. We read that he was below in the courtyard. Jesus is in the upper room of the high priest's house where the religious leaders have put him on trial and they are demanding that he be put to death. Meanwhile, Peter is down below in the courtyard. And we can imagine that as Peter is sitting in that courtyard, he is hearing the punches and the shouts and maybe even the screams of Jesus that are coming from above. As Peter sits in the courtyard, we can imagine him hearing the whispered reports from those who are nearby about what is taking place upstairs. We can also note who Peter is with. 
The simple answer is that Peter is with no one of a like mind. Jesus, his friend, his Lord, his master, is upstairs. Peter is down below. The other disciples have disappeared into the night. None of them can be found. And Peter is there alone in the high priest's courtyard. Peter is alone. And he's beginning to feel it. He is in a vulnerable position, a precarious position. And you know, friends, as we consider these verses, we are being shown the place where backsliding, the place where falling away from Jesus will often occur. The place where backsliding, falling away from Jesus will often occur. That is what we see in Mark 14. Peter is about to fall away from Jesus. He is about to deny having any relationship, any friendship with Jesus. He is about to backslide in a spectacular fashion. And before he falls, before he denies Jesus, before he backslides in a spectacular fashion, Mark shows us that Peter was alone. Now, in one respect, he wasn't alone. If you jump back to verse 54, we read that he was sitting with the guards of the high priest, warming himself by the fire. But in another respect, he is very much alone. He is separated from Jesus and separated from the followers of Jesus. And that, friends, is so important for us to remember today. Ray Ortland writes, To choose to be alone is to invite spiritual failure. To choose to be alone is to invite spiritual failure. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, The more isolated a man is, the more destructive his sin will become. In other words, the place where backsliding will often occur is when we find ourselves alone and withdrawn from the fellowship and friendship of the Lord's people. I cannot say it enough. We need the fellowship, we need the friendship of the Lord's people, the body of Christ, if we are to survive and thrive as Christians. That is the point that the writer to the Hebrews makes, where he says in Hebrews 10, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There is no such thing as Lone Ranger going it alone Christianity. I'll say that again and again and again. It might be the last thing I will ever say as minister of this congregation. There is no such thing as Lone Ranger going it alone Christianity. And when a Christian starts to distance themselves and detach themselves from the fellowship, the friendship of the Lord's people, they are putting themselves in a place of danger. I can think of one friend in particular. He was a member in his own church, a man who led the praise, a man who prayed the most powerful prayers that I've ever heard an 18-year-old praying, But after some time, he stopped attending the Christian Union meetings. A while later, he stopped attending his church's evening services. A while later, he stopped attending the church's morning services. 
He found himself spending less and less time with the Lord's people and allowing more and more things to creep into and consume his life until when he graduated, you would struggle to see a spark of spiritual life in this man. You wouldn't see anything in him that gave any indication that he was one of the Lord's people. And so this morning, friends, we are being reminded that backsliding will often occur when we find ourselves isolated, when we find ourselves separated from the Lord's people. The place where backsliding will often occur is when we find ourselves alone. So can I say to you, friends, that if you're thinking to yourself, I might start to ease off from the evening service I might start to ease off from the prayer meetings. I might start to ease off from the Bible studies and prayer groups of this congregation. I might start to ease off from being with the Lord's people. My friend, you are putting yourself into a place of danger. A place of danger. But we move from the courtyard to the collapse. Look at verses 67 and 71. And here Mark focuses on what Peter did. Verses 67 and 68, we can see the first denial. Mark begins by recording the allegation. Look at verse 67. Though stars in an innocent manner, an unassuming manner, Peter is warming himself by a fire and this innocent servant girl who is so insignificant that Mark doesn't even record her name, she comes up to Peter And she sees him warming himself. And she doesn't simply see him warming himself. She also looks at him. And as she surveys him, she says, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. You also were with that man from Nazareth. The inhabitants of Jerusalem tended to look down on people who came from the northern village of Nazareth. They they saw them as the, the country bumpkins. In comparison to the sophisticated scholars of Jerusalem. And this girl is saying to Peter. You also were with that Nazarene. You also were with that man called Jesus. And having recorded the allegation. Mark records the answer. Look at verse 68. We read that Peter denied it. And we read that Peter replied. I do not know or understand what you mean. If you go back to Mark chapter 3. You read that Peter, that Jesus chose Peter and called Peter to be with him. To be with him. And here is this servant girl and she is saying to Peter, you are one of those who was with Jesus. You are one of those who was with the Nazarene. And Peter just brushes it off and he says, I haven't a clue what you're talking about. No idea. But his behavior gives him away. He, he moves away from the fire moves away from the courtyard and he begins to slink and hide away in the gateway. He's lurking in the shadows. He's readying himself for a quick exit. And as he does so, the rooster crows. We come to the second denial in verses 69 and 70. Mark records the allegation. Look at verse 69. The servant girl sees Peter huddled away in that doorway, in that gateway, and she starts saying to the bystanders, this man is one of them. She's not to be deterred by Peter dismissing her, brushing her off. This man is one of them. And having recorded the allegation, Mark records the answer. Look at verse 70. We read that Peter denied it. He literally kept denying it. Over and over. Over and over he's saying, I I, I am not one of Jesus' followers. 
We come to the third denial in verse 71. Mark records the allegation beginning of verse 71. After a while, the bystanders approach Peter saying, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Matthew tells us that they knew that Peter was a Galilean from his distinctive accent. Um, This sounds really bad, but I sometimes uh, hear people saying things to me like, You're not from here. And like, I'm certainly not. I don't have a Lewis or a Harris accent. And, and, and they, these people are saying here, you're not one of us. The more you're talking, the more you're denying this Jesus, the more you're giving yourself away as one of his followers. The bystanders know that the man who is on trial in the house of the high priest is a Galilean, a man from Nazareth. And therefore the odds that this man who is lurking in the shadows with a Galilean accent behaving in a very suspicious manner, the odds that he is one of Jesus' followers, well, they're just a bit too high. And having recorded the allegation, Mark records the answer. Look at verse 71. Peter starts to panic And he invokes a curse on himself and he starts to swear. He is making a vow, making a solemn oath in the presence of these bystanders. But not only in the presence of the bystanders, in the presence of God. He is saying here, may God strike me down if what I am saying isn't true. And listen to what he says. I do not know the man of whom you speak. He claims that he doesn't know Jesus. Denying that there is any friendship between him and Jesus, any relationship between him and Jesus, any intimacy between him and Jesus. And and can you even note the way that he can't bring himself to use the name Jesus? He says here, I don't know this one of whom you speak. Now friends, as we consider these verses, we're being shown the progression of backsliding, the progression of backsliding. That's what we see in Mark 14. Peter starts out saying that he doesn't know what the servant girl is talking about when she alleges that he has been with Jesus. He continues by emphatically and repeatedly denying that he is one of the followers of Jesus. And he concludes by swearing that he doesn't even know Jesus, whom he describes here as this man of whom you speak. It is a steady downward spiral that Peter never anticipated. And that is so important for us to remember. Big confession here, but I really enjoy watching the American comedy Frasier. And there's a fascinating scene with Frasier's brother, Niles. Uh, Niles is a very pernickety kind of character, and he's sitting in Frasier's flat waiting for his date to come along, and he sees just a tiny crease in his trousers. And so he decides he will iron the crease out, and he sets the trousers on fire, and he then tries to put out the fire with a fire extinguisher, and he ends up dropping the fire extinguisher and setting the whole flat on fire. It's a perfect illustration of something trivial progressing to a total disaster, an escalation of chaos. And we can apply that to backsliding, where small compromises will inevitably lead to spectacular collapses. We see that in the life of David in 2 Samuel 11. He's staying at home while the rest of his men are out fighting. David is literally home alone. And he decides to go for a little walk on his palace roof and he notices a woman who's having a bath. And he takes the time to note that this woman is very beautiful. He doesn't simply think, oh, there's a woman having a bath, I better look away. No, he, he, he checks her out. And after checking her out, he 
finds out from his men that she's already married and she is married to one of his soldiers who is fighting his battles. But that doesn't put David off. He sleeps with her anyway. And after he finds out that he's got her pregnant, he decides that he will cover his tracks. He will, he will bury the whole thing by having her husband put to death. Richard Phillips calls it a rapid series of escalating actions. That's what happens when it comes to backsliding. That's what happens when it comes to falling away from Jesus. Those, those very small compromises eventually lead to spectacular collapses. I've seen it in my own life. I'm sure many of you have seen it in your lives. This morning we are being reminded that there is a progression when it comes to backsliding. There is a downward spiritual spiral that takes us further and further from Jesus until people are left saying, I don't know if that man knows Jesus. I don't know if that woman has ever been with Jesus. There is a a progression. And maybe you're aware of that in your own life today. You feel like you're in in the plug hole spiraling further and further and further away from Jesus. Third and finally, we come to the contrition. Look at verse 72, where Mark focuses on how Peter felt. At the beginning of verse 72, we see the rooster crowing. Mark tells us that following Peter's catastrophic collapse, the rooster immediately crowed a second time. Peter has been emphatically denying all knowledge of Jesus. He has been doing everything that he can to create as much distance between him and Jesus as possible. And now this crowing rooster just stops him in his tracks. And Mark tells us that Peter remembered Jesus' words to him. At one level, the rooster's crowing announces the approach of dawn. But at another level, the rooster's crowing is announcing the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy. If you go back to the upper room, Jesus is there and he's saying to Peter, I tell you, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And now as Peter hears the crowing rooster, he's thinking to himself, everything Jesus said has just happened. I have denied him three times before that rooster crowed twice. We can move from the crowing rooster to the contrite disciple in the second half of verse 72. Upon hearing the rooster crowing and remembering Jesus' words, Peter breaks down and weeps. He, he breaks down. And quite simply, he, he falls apart. And he starts to weep. Now, this doesn't refer to tears welling up in his eyes. I, I, I was watching a film the other day. Not a soppy film for some reason. Another film. Uh, and you just feel the tears kind of welling up in your eyes as you see what's unfolding. And for those of you who want to know, it was all quiet on the Western Front, so I think I am justified in, in saying that. But that's not tears welling up in Peter's eyes. Neither is a lump rising up in his throat. This refers to great and uncontrollable sobbing. This is the kind of grief that a person would normally show at a funeral, at a graveside. Peter is now at rock bottom. In John chapter 1, Jesus had said to him, You are going to be called Peter, meaning rock. 
in Matthew 16, Jesus had said to Peter, you are Peter, you are Rockman, and on you and on your confession that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, I will build my church. And now Mr. Rockman is falling like a stone, sunk like a stone, rock bottom. This is the lowest point of Peter's entire existence. He he will never go lower than this. Now, friends, as we consider these verses, we are being shown the pain that backsliding leads to. The pain that backsliding leads to. That's what we see in Mark 14. Here's Peter. He's a grown man. He's a man in the prime of life. He's a, he's a hardened fisherman. He's like one of these men. I see them at wakes. I see them at funerals. And, and they are not prone to showing their feelings. They are not prone to showing their emotions. They will maintain the stiff upper lip no matter what. That, that is Peter. And he's denied his Lord, he has disowned his Lord, his Saviour, his friend, his Jesus with curses. And it's at this point that he breaks down and weeps uncontrollably. And that, friends, is so important for us to remember. Backsliding, falling away from Jesus doesn't bring any joy. Doesn't bring any relief. It only brings sorrow, it only brings pain, it only brings heartache and heartbreak. Do you remember my friend I told you about earlier on? I hope you can remember that much of the, the sermon. I remember meeting that guy in his flat one night. And he just snapped. He completely lost it. Trashed the whole place. Threw jars of dolmio all over the place. Bottles here, there and everywhere. It was awful. He was unraveling he was coming apart because he was seeing how much his life was unraveling or we can think of the story and I touched on this with Eleanor the story of Robert Robinson Robert Robinson was converted under the ministry of George Whitfield the great evangelist and he became a Baptist pastor he wrote many famous hymns one of them come now fount of every blessing but he began to wander away from the Lord And one day he was on a carriage and a woman he didn't know and who didn't know him got onto the carriage and and she started singing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. She started speaking about this hymn that she loved that meant so much to her. And it all got too much for Robert Robinson. And he said to her, Madam, I am the poor unhappy man who composed that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings that I had then. Backsliding, falling away from Jesus only brings pain. It only brings sorrow. Well, this morning, friends, we have considered a very difficult passage from God's Word. We have been reminded of the place where backsliding occurs. We have been reminded of the progression that backsliding will take. And we have been reminded of the pain that backsliding will result in. In many ways, that is not an easy message to preach. That is a message that I would love to have put off for another day. But I've got my preaching calendar and I've told Donald that I know what I want to do with my preaching calendar. So I have to have the sermon series on Peter finished by the 18th of December so I thought well I'll just go through it anyway but but it's been difficult really difficult but it's so vital to remember friends that we are all prone to wandering and leaving the God we love 
We're all prone to wandering and leaving the God we love. Dale Ralph Davis writes, If you begin to say, Oh, but I could never, then you have already taken the first step in your fall. Don't ever be surprised at what you are capable of. Don't ever be surprised at what you are capable of. But friends, there is hope. There is comfort, there is consolation. If you are sitting here today feeling that you have backslidden, feeling that you have fallen away from Jesus, if you go back to Mark 14, verse 28, Jesus says to Peter and the other disciples, After I am raised, after I am risen from the dead, I will go before you to Galilee. There you will see me. And in John 21, that we'll look at in a few weeks' time, we'll see Peter going off to Galilee, going off to the place where he expects to find and be forgiven by Jesus. He doesn't hold back. He cannot hold back. He must be with Jesus. And I want to say to you today, my friend, that if you are here and you feel like you are in a backslidden rut, if you are here today and you are feeling like a backslidden write-off, please don't hold back from the Lord. Please don't wander any further from Jesus. Please don't say, I am going to just leave this building and leave this church in absolute despair. Don't do that, friend. Jesus is the Redeemer who says to those who have backslidden, says to those who have wandered, says to those who have fallen away from him for a season, return. And I will cure, I will heal, I will will forgive your backslidings. Return. And I will heal, I will cure, I will forgive your faithlessness. He, he simply says, return. So you have a choice today, friends. You can choose to leave these doors, leave this building, feeling absolute despair. Or you can say, I'm going to return to Jesus. Jesus.